this morning is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be kind of a, a little bit of Bible study, a little bit of lecture, and a little bit of, of sermon rolled together, okay? Rick's gone, so... so. But, but my goal in this is that you and I walk away with a, a solid grasp on our role as a congregant in the midst of corporate worship. All right, so let's pray as we embark on this. Father, thank you for just the privilege of what we have done so far. Thank you for the joy of being able to sing your praise the privilege of being able to give and to, to know that your ministry occurs because of that, to know that you're honored by that. Even what we're doing right now, Lord, to, to address you, to talk to you is, is so undeserved and such a rich and sweet blessing. So we thank you for that. I ask that you um, give the Hollands a, a good rest of the weekend and then travel back and that you would bless us now in the midst of our study, that you would edify us, that you would convict us as needed, and we would walk away, Lord, encouraged and uplifted with a greater view of you and a greater view of what you call us to and what you have allowed us to be part of. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so corporate worship. The, the first step to really... Toward, toward the end of having a solid grasp on, on your role in corporate worship as a congregant at MRBC is this. It's to understand corporate worship. But even, <clears throat> even before corporate worship is just to understand worship and individual worship. What comes to your mind when I say the word worship? Depending on who I ask that, you I would probably get a very different response. Uh, if, if I went and talked to one of those Twitter-pated couples, you know, and they would say they worship each other. They would say, oh, I, I worship this, my fiance here, the, the ground she walks on. Uh, avid sports fans speak of worshiping a team or a player. Right? The, those couples are talking about adoration and devotion and the, these these avid sports fans are talking about the, a zeal, a respect, a fervent loyalty to this team or this player in terms of saying that they, they, they worship that. Wall Street brokers, you know, have a, a reputation of being said to, to worship the almighty dollar. Other people too, but I'll use them as an example. And inherent in that is the idea of the willingness to sacrifice everything else in pursuit of this end. And that's That's worship. For them, compare those ideas with 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 what I at least come across in the broadly evangelical sense of the word worship. And generally speaking, worship is applied and equated to the musical portion of a gathered service, or even a private service. uh, Not private service, a private uh, time. Worship in the church today is most broadly and practically defined as singing. That's why I get called the worship guy or the worship pastor or, you know, whatever moniker you want to say. I, I, I prefer music man or <laughs> piano man or whatever you want to say. 
but not the worship guy because worship as equated to to, to song and restrained and confined just to singing is, as we're going to find out, too narrow. Because even those, even those worldly ideas of worship, of, you know, worshiping the ground that she walks on, sacrificing everything for the pursuit of the almighty dollar, um, advocating and, and demonstrating just an avid zeal and loyalty to a particular team or, or sports player, those might actually end up closer to the mark if, if for us worship is just singing. All right, so, so what's the right definition of worship and what do you think is your part in this? For each of us as believers to engage in corporate worship rightly, we need to be sure we have a right understanding of the word worship. All right, now, I know you know that the Bible was not inspired in English, right? It wasn't written originally in English. It was written originally in Hebrew and Aramaic and in Greek. And so it's, there's, there's great importance to understanding some of the terms in, and concepts in those languages as those things then get translated into this English word, worship. All right? A, see, a, a biblical understanding of the word worship goes much further than just looking in the back of the Bible and saying, you know, okay, W, worship, I'm going to look at those verses. Because there are terms that underlie this notion of worship that are both translated as worship itself, but then used in other contexts as well that actually help us to rightly define worship. And we have to grab those nuances from some of the original words and utilize them to define worship in those contexts so that the definition comes from here and we're not uh, exporting our kind of contemporary and current notion of worship into the biblical use of the word. So let's look briefly at some of the examples of the words that are translated worship. Uh, the first one, up there being Hishtahawa, okay? Genesis 22, verse 5 is an example of that. God tells Abraham to go and to sacrifice his son, the fulfillment of the covenant promise to Abraham, and God tells him to go and sacrifice him up on the mountain. Abraham begins to obey, and he gathers his servants, his young men. He takes his son, and they head a few days' journey, okay, off into the desert, the wilderness. And eventually, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. And we will worship, we will hishtahua, and return to you. Worship in this sense, as these, this word is used even in other contexts, literally means we will prostrate ourselves, okay? We will bow down, and then we'll return to you, all right? There, there's examples of, of a man bowing down, hishtahua, before another man. So it's a very, very physical expression word. And in this case, it's translated as worship. But we will, we will bow down 
in this physical expression of reverence and awe before a superior, it's always that idea. If a man bows before a man, it's always the inferior bowing before the superior as a physical expression of the, of the superiority of this other person and his worthiness of the reverence inherent in that motion of bowing before them. It's otherwise translated as bow down, to do homage, to prostrate. All right, so that's one of the words that is often translated as worship. The next one is uh, yare. Okay, and we find this in Genesis 22, 12. Now, this is continuing in the story. And God actually then speaks to Abraham in the midst of about to plunge his knife into his son in this ultimate act of submissive obedience. And God says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him for now I know that you fear God, Yare. Why? Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This word that is, is translated as fear or to have reverence for and also as worship is very attitudinal in focus, okay, where hishtachowa is very much a physically expressive kind of thing. This is very much an attitudinal word that, that drives the action, the awareness that this being, this person is worthy of reverence and awe and fear then drives my actions and my responses. We can see it in a couple more examples. If we look over in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 17, after, after citing some various laws that God has given, verse 17 says, So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God. For I am the Lord your God. Why? Why should you obey me? Why should you not wrong one another? Because you shall fear me. And, and for I am the Lord your God. The same admonition is given in 2 Kings 17, verse 7. Now, this came about. And this is talking about why Israel ended up being captive, why God gave them over into captivity. And 17 verse 7 says, Now this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. The Israelites had had given their reverence and their awe to other gods. They had worshipped other gods as their attitudes then drove their actions, and thus God gave them over into captivity. So again, this idea of, of, of fear and respect is attitudinal. It acknowledges God as superior and worthy of reverence, even of terror, if you're not in his favor, then God is worthy of terror and fear. And if you are in a position of favor with him, then he's, because of that fear and respect, worth giving submission to. All right, the next word is abad. Okay? Well, we find this in Jude, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. Says it's now Israel. 
What does the Lord, your God, require from you? There's our other word, but to fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways and love him and to serve. There's our word, abad or avad. And to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And then to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. So the idea here is that to be God's people, Israel needs to have both the right attitude, but then they need to have the right actions. And those actions, this, this idea of worship, as this word is utilized, is obedient action in submission to what God has said. We see a similar concept in chapter 6, verse 13. And, and both of those uses are generally understood as service, okay? Practical service, both in general life and also in specifically religious ways. Okay, this is not, this is not a, a service in the sense of our church service. This is a service in the sense of there's a master and a servant, and the servant knows what the master wants over the course of life and over the course of the week, over the course of the days, and he does what the master wants. He serves him on a daily basis. That is this word. If we look in 2 Kings again, flip over with me to chapter 21, 2 Kings 21. We'll start in verse 1. 2 Kings 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. If you're expecting a child, file that one away, okay, in the do not name file. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. How? For he rebuilt the high places. These are places of worship. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And worshipped, that's the Hishtachowah. So he bowed down before all the hosts of heaven and served them. He submitted himself to them, and because of his submission, he then lived on their behalf. His daily actions, his rule as a king were driven by, I am going to, to, to carry out the will of these gods. And, and, and we know what, what Manasseh's reputation was and what he did and, and all of that. And it was, it was awful. It was ungodly. It was sinful. And it was severely detrimental to the nation. And that was because he did not serve, he did not worship through his life's actions, Yahweh, God of Israel. Instead, he worshiped and served other gods. If you think about um, the end of Joshua, remember Joshua's ending charge to the people? What did he say? He said, choose you today whom you will serve. Is our word. And then he says, he, he doesn't say, you can abdicate the choice. No, he just, you got to choose. Either the gods from where we came or the gods from where we're going to where we're going or Yahweh. The inevitable conclusion of this is that you are going to give your life in service to someone or something 
And Joshua is telling the people, make your choice. Who's it going to be? And then the famous verse, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will worship God with the daily details of life in accordance to his will as it's revealed. All right? The last word here, seret, has a specifically religious connotation, okay, in terms of like um, ceremonial, religious, religiously ceremonial usage of the word worship. Uh, this is more along the lines of what we typically would define as worship. Look at Exodus 39.1. It says, moreover, it's talking about the, um, the, the priestly clothing. From the blue and purple and scarlet material, they made finely woven garments for ministering. There's the word. Minister, worship, serve in all those contexts. For ministering in the holy place, as well as the holy garments, which were for Aaron, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. All right, so there's this notion then that men are commanded to worship God and, and, and equipped to worship God in a more formally religious sense, but it's so broad as well as the undergirding foundation even to this idea of worship. And it's not, a, uh, it's not just a, you know, a, a loose canon word in the sense of any, anybody can, can do that. Psalm 101 helps us get a little bit of a context in verse 6, it says, God speaking, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. So faithful that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me, is the one who will worship me in these ways. So that's a necessary uh, attitude and commensurate life to even this, this formal sense of worship. So those, those are some of the... the just the workhorse words that either contextually define or literally even are translated as worship in the Bible. And what, what is interesting is that the Greek has parallels to each of those with the same kind of focus. The same focus. There's a word for posture. There's a word for attitude. There's a word for life. There's a word for the more ceremonial idea of worship. And we're not going to take the time to look at each of those because I can't do another 79-minute sermon while Rick is gone. That will not go well with me. Some of you weren't here, were you? Yeah. But there are direct parallels, okay? And, and what these words and those uses, and then that's kind of a, just a lightning overview, but it helps us understand that worship is not a word that is defined by the songs that we sing on Sunday. A song is worship, but worship is more than a song, okay? A song is worship, but worship is more than a song. In fact, worship is not even defined by the entirety of our services on Sunday. These services are worship, but they're not the fullness of worship. As Dan Block puts it, he says, True worship involves reverential acts, human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accord with his will. Woo! 
I encourage you, write that down and go read it about 16 times and chew on it, okay? True worship involves reverential human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accord with his will. Note how he incorporates those biblical nuances in this. Talks about homage. That's the hishtahua, the idea of posture, the idea of, of presenting yourself before God as an inferior before a superior. And then the yare, the reverential human acts, this idea of reverence and fear before God and that that underlies the acts of submission and homage that we do. Submission, a bad, the idea of, of obedience of action. If we submit, then we do what the master says, and that's worship. And then surret, revelation. As, as God has revealed and directed, we so do as his ministers. So you can see that worship really is, is a whole life submission of, of obedience and reverence to God. And this involves Sundays. Okay, I'm not saying that, that Sunday is not worship, and I'm not saying that songs aren't worship either. It involves those things, but it's so much more even than that. Individually, all right, you and I individually, as Romans 12 says, we are to offer the entirety of ourselves, our whole bodies, all of our lives, all-inclusive, 24-7, as a sacrifice to the Lord. It makes sense. It's our reasonable service because of who God is and what he's done and what he has revealed about himself and how he has worked in us. Here we go. Give it all. That's worship. Okay? It's our reasonable service of worship through both attitudes and actions. That's individually. However, we do gather, right? We do gather on Sunday mornings together. We gather corporately and we gather for corporate worship. So we gather to corporately express those reverential human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign. All right, let me say that again. We gather to corporately express those reverential human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign. That's why we get together. Corporate worship, then, is those, are those things that the church body does in response to God in response to who he is, in response to what he's done, in response to what he has said. And so what would be the things that this church body would do as corporate worship? Things that we do because God has said, things that we do because God has revealed himself, things that we do because of what God has done. Well, we pray. That's a part of corporate worship. We give. Not because the pastors don't want to be hungry, but because it's, it's a part of corporate worship. We sing. We sing because it's a part of corporate worship. We observe communion as a part of worshiping together. Observing communion being one of those things that we do in submission and homage 
before God as he has revealed himself. Baptism. We observe baptism. Same reason. We fellowship as part of corporate worship. We practice the one another's in Scripture. All those one another phrases where there's a command to do something to one another or with one another or for one another. The execution of those commands on a Sunday morning, well, any day of the week, but even particularly on a Sunday morning when we gather corporately is part of corporate worship. We practice church discipline because of who God is and what he has revealed and what he has said to us, then we submit ourselves out of reverential fear to God and say we will practice church discipline. We will practice church discipline and restoration. And we listen to scriptures read and explained. Okay? So you see, worship doesn't start with the first guitar chord. I've, I've, one of the most jarring experiences to me was, was being, being at, a, at a church one time, and there was, um, there was a, a welcome. I mean, obviously, there was all the stuff before the actual service began, but there was the welcome, and then there was some prayer and a scripture. And then the music guy got up. And he's like, hey, let's start to worship. Boom. And I just thought, what? You know, or, or, or you see that sometimes where, um, you know, there's some songs and, and then poor Pastor Bob gets up and, you know, he gives announcements. But then he, but, but then he prays and, and he shepherds. Not him, obviously, because we know what's going on, but the Pastor Bob's out there. And then the music starts again. Hey, let's, let's get back to worship. You know, there's, there's that notion of what goes on. But, but corporate worship doesn't start when the music starts. It starts, honestly, when you arrive and engage with the first person out in the parking lot. That's the start of corporate worship. It starts as soon as you walk through the door to the church and are greeted by, by the people on the greeting team or otherwise. That's corporate worship. It continues through prayer. It continues through scripture readings. It continues through the songs. It continues through the giving. It continues through the, the announcements and the, and, the, and the body life shepherding that happens. It continues through the preaching. And it continues as you make your way out of the doors, through the parking lot, still interacting with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then you shut the doors to your car, and then I suppose we can say it's done. But it's, all of that is an opportunity to be engaged in corporate worship, to be engaged in acts of submission and homage out of reverence and gratitude to God in the midst of this time. So, all of that is wrapped up in corporate worship. Hopefully, that's making sense. How are, how are you a part of this? Is it all up to the pastors, the elders, and the musicians to do worship? Obviously, the answer is no. And my goal, like I said, is to, to hopefully 
help you get a good grasp on your role in this. And that, and that first step then being to understand both worship but then even corporate worship. The second step then to understanding your role and, and your part to play would be to prepare for corporate worship. That's right. The old cliche of Sunday morning starts Saturday night. It's really true. So in preparing for corporate worship, it would be less of the mindset of, oh, it's, it's, it's Sunday. Ooh, I'm late. Ah, I'll skip Sunday school. I don't really need to, 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 to sweat those kind of things. I can just, I can just show up. Uh, you know, I got, I, got, I got time for coffee. It's okay if I miss the, the, the opening scripture reading or, you know. The better idea would be more of, oh, hey, it's Monday. At the end of the week, we're going to be gathering. So how do I get ready for that? And I think getting ready, I think preparing for it involves two things. And these are, these are more uh, philosophically. I can't tell you how much Saturday night does impact Sunday morning. So on a practical level, prepare for Sunday morning by being wise with your Saturday night. Um, I know the, who, who out there had, was up late Saturday night. Yes, I know. But on a more philosophical preparation standpoint is this. First is that you worship during the week. Okay? You don't live Monday through Saturday and then, oh, going to go to worship. See? It's I worship Monday through Saturday and then I go to corporate worship on Sunday. I get to gather with my brothers and sisters and we get to together do what I have hopefully been doing all week because you don't come and perform religious acts of worship on Sunday and then live for yourself or for the world all the rest of the week. That's called idolatry and hypocrisy. And God had something to say about that to the Israelites. Look in Isaiah chapter 1 with me. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 17 says this, Hear the word of the Lord, and you rulers of Sodom. He's actually talking to Israel, but he's characterizing them in that moment. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord. So he's talking about their formal religious acts of worship. He says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this, this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. But, but God, you told us to. Bring them no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. They don't go together. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. And so right now he's going to say, live 
like a worshiper before you come to worship me. And he says, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. So their ceremonial acts were just disgusting to God, abhorrent to God. Because their lives weren't submitted to him in worship and in service. Which begs that we recognize that, that, that we have a choice of worship in every circumstance, every situation that we find ourselves. We have an opportunity and a choice to worship. In fact, we have a choice of, of what or whom to worship, but the choice is not whether we will worship our worship will be manifested by what we do. It's just a matter of whom or what are we worshiping. We will give submission and homage to something or someone. We will assign surpassing value and respect to something or someone, and this will fuel our choices of words, our attitudes, and our actions. This, this, is, this is in every moment of every life, as you, as, uh, of, of every part of life. As you're sitting at the computer, how you use that computer will demonstrate what is of supreme value to you. As you fulfill your role at work, your attitude and your actions and your conduct in work reveal who you're serving. Could be yourself, could be the dollar, could be the men around you, the women around you, could be God. You are worshiping someone or something as you do your work. As you parent, as you take care of the house, as you take care of sick family members, dying family members, Men, as you come home from work, I say that because this is a constant thing for me to be, always be doing, as you come home from work, is to say, okay, I'm about to step out of the worship in work role, and I'm about to step into the worship in husbanding and parenting role. How do I give myself in homage and submission to God by being the kind of husband that God calls me to do, to be, and by being the kind of parent that God calls me to be? And man, you got to just remind yourself of that all the time or else it just, you just forget. But when you look at each situation that you find yourself in and say, I have, a, I will worship. I have an opportunity to worship my God. How do I do that? You can find a way. And that's one of the expectations that God wants. Before coming on Sunday, making our lives consistent in that, in the week ahead, in the, in the week prior. So that's, that's, that's step number one. Worship during the week for preparation. Number two is this. Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart for what you're about to do. Okay, basically this. Folks, confess your sin before you come before a holy God. Yes, Jesus' blood covers us and purifies us from sin and its consequences, and yet so often it seems like there's a presumption upon the grace of God 
when we come into his presence and we're covered with the muck and the filth of the week's worth of, 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 of worldliness and unconfessed sin. The, the, the line of the uh, now classic song, come just as you are to worship. It's not true. We still come. You can come. Anybody can come to be saved. Anybody can come to be saved. Yes, amen. Come as you are to repent and be saved. But you don't come just as you are to worship. Okay? We still come before a holy God who commands us to be holy as he is holy. And his purity and his holiness ought to motivate us to purify ourselves, not wallow in our sins. That's why Paul exhorts the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11. He's, he's talking about communion, something that they were doing as part of corporate worship. And he said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. He doesn't just say, hey, great, you're covered. Just come and do whatever. He says, no, a man must examine himself and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Basically, make sure you're not bringing unconfessed sin and unrepented sin and, 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 a, and a life of hypocritical rejection of God while you're giving lip service to him. Make sure you're not doing that. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number even sleep. They're dead. So we worship during the week, and we consecrate ourselves before corporate worship, and neither one of these requires perfection. Neither one of these require an absolute 100% scorecard before we can come before the Lord in corporate worship, or else none of us could come. And we know that, but we can demonstrate process and progress and purpose in those things. We can seek to be faithful during the week and we can seek to deal with our sin on a regular basis. And we do that because our perfection is in Christ but our preparation is our task. Our perfection is in Christ but our preparation for corporate worship is our task. Hebrews chapter 12 and 13 talks about the immense burden of consecration that God put on the Israelites before they came before him at Sinai, such that they were, they were terrified of it. The holiness of God, the same God that we come before, is an awesome thing. We need to be aware of that, and God calls us to be aware of that. So hopefully we understand the scope and intensity of worship and its place in the believer's life, you know now and are encouraged in how to prepare for corporate worship. And the final step for your role is, is simple. It's this, participate. And you say, what? Come on, Aaron. No, I'm serious. Participate. Participate in corporate worship. There's a reason it's called corporate worship, and that's because we do it together. We do it together. But many in our culture have turned corporate worship into a spectator sport. 
Sometimes deliberately, sometimes unwittingly, worship is, worship is turned into an event that you attend and you watch as opposed to a gathering that you participate in. And there can be a myriad of influences because of these things. You know, I mean, and it's everything that... There are philosophies that drive a lot of these things, but it's anything from lighting to, to volume to the choice of the elements of involved, like, you know, are there scripture readings or not, the tone of the leadership and how they, what they expect of the people and what they are encouraged to do. And all those things can discourage participation. But I want you to know that biblically, you're called to participate, and Mission Road leadership wants you to participate because this is our gathering together to, for the purpose of together being able to submit in these ways and give these acts to God. So I encourage you all to understand that as part of the church body that's gathered for worship, your role on Sunday mornings is to wholeheartedly, as best as you're able, participate in corporate worship. Does God tell us to whatever? Then you ask yourself, how do I do whatever that is? Does God tell us to pray? Then how do I pray best? Does God tell us to read scriptures? Then how do I, how do I participate in the reading of scriptures to the best of my abilities? Does God tell us to have the, the, the scriptures explained, to give, to sing, how do I participate in that? And then to the best of your ability, then you do that wholeheartedly. For example, give. That would look like being purposeful. That would look like being cheerful. That would look like being grateful. Paul describes support of the Christian ministry as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. It's not just... What's in there? Just chuck something, or even just oh, okay. Time to time to give again. I sure am consistent. We have the opportunity to give a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, something that's well pleasing to God. When we receive the word, there's a difference between receiving the word, like okay, he's gonna get up, he's gonna talk for 45 minutes, and then I can go to lunch to saying this is, this is God's word, this is God's truth, so how do I hear it? How do I receive it? How do I ingest it and absorb it so that I can then apply it and live it out? How do I participate in communion? God tells us to remember. So how do I remember well? Through self-reflection, through a purposeful mindset and an attitude that doesn't just blow it off. Singing, here's, the, here's, here's, here's way number one, open your mouth and sing. Actually sing. And it's, it's for two reasons. One is for God's sake, as we sing to him, and the other is for your church family's sake. Because the edification that happens as you sing and as you lift your voices and it ministers to your brothers and sisters around you, that is scriptural. And so to say, mm, sing is not for me. Well, take, take, take that up with the Lord. Because it's in there and it's part of why we gather together to worship. So if we're going to give our, our, our reverential acts of submission and homage to the Lord, then when we gather, one of those acts is your voice in song. Unless you're physically unable, and well, that's okay. 
But whether you sing well or not, we sing. One of the most encouraging things that has happened to me over the recent years was, was standing next to <laughs> one of the, the most grating singers I've ever heard in corporate worship and going for it. Voice, voice was raised. There was, there was expression. There was heartfelt conviction. And it sounded horrible. And that was so encouraging to me. It's like, man, there is, a, there is a conviction of faith that drives this person's song. And I loved it. So we sing. We fellowship. How do you do that well? You purpose in your heart to know and practice the one another's on Sundays. Purpose in your heart to know what does God call me to do in the midst of these gatherings as I relate to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then to seek to have genuine, specific, and spiritual interaction with those around you. Inquire after one another's spiritual well-being. Share spiritual encouragements from your individual worship during the week. Pray for one another in the moment. Be fantastic. Talk, 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 talk. Hey, let's just pray. On a Sunday morning while people are walking around, yeah, let's pray. It's one another's. It's good. That's one of the reasons that we have care groups is to continue that and to, and to foster all the more um, intimacy and connectivity with that. But even on a Sunday morning, fellowship is worship. And then serve as well. For some reason, serving the church body is commonly disconnected from the idea of worship. But we're all given gifts for the edification of the, of the church to build it up and to serve it. And so if we implement, as we implement those gifts, then we are submitting ourselves to what God has done and to what God has said. And that's worship. Teaching kids is worship. Serving in the nursery is worship. Playing guitar is worship. Greeting visitors, shoveling snow, cleaning the grounds, preparing the coffee, all of these are acts of submission and homage to your king who tells you to love and serve your church family. So do it. Folks, don't be a pew sitter who takes and takes and takes. Engage in corporate worship in those ways. You pray. Pray along with those who pray from the front. When, when Pastor Rick, Pastor Bob, whomever starts to talk to the Lord, he's doing that on a, on a, as a represent, kind of a, in like a representative level. But it's not so that you can just kind of check out and say, ah, oh, sweet, Pastor Bob's praying for me. It's, it's giving the prayer so that you can join your hearts along with him and, and, and engage in that prayer along with whoever is praying from up front. And so we pay attention. We, we affirm it in our minds, in our hearts. We could even say amen if you really want to. And we participate as a member of this body in its corporate times of worship. But what's crucial to understand here as I'm saying all these things is that it's both a duty and a delight. Okay, the last thing I want you to think is, man, I've got all these things I have to be. Ha- have to be? 
It's a duty and a delight. It's a responsibility. It is. It is because commands need to be obeyed. But what a privilege. Because you got to remember this. Jesus bought for us the ability to worship. Unredeemed, you cannot have your prayers heard. Unredeemed, you cannot have Christian fellowship with one another. Unredeemed, your songs don't get past the ceiling. Unredeemed, your giving is just a fleshly effort at gaining favor. Unredeemed, your acts of service are about as good as the filthy rag used to clean up the sewer back up the other week. But in Christ, because of his crucifixion and his resurrection, all these things are possible for you, are, are, are before us. If you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in him and your faith in his righteousness on our behalf, then you can pray and be heard by God. Think about that. You, you can talk to God and be heard. You can give to God's work and have its effect be, be like the highest quality, I, even, I even hate to say it, but just, you know, you walk into a room and you go, oh, what is that smell? That is so nice. That, you know, that really nice candle, it just makes everything so pleasing. <laughs> that's, what, that's what giving is with a cheerful heart. That's what that does to God. Oh, that's so good. And you can do that because of what Jesus has bought for us. You can sing and have it bring glory and pleasure to God. You get to serve and have it bring honor to his name. And get this, to bring eternal good to the bride of Christ. Because when we serve and we edify the church, the church is Jesus' bride and our service builds it up. And that's one of the things that Jesus bought for us. You can have fellowship and true bonded unity with other believers where otherwise you would have no commonality. That's purchased by Christ. You can remember the sacrifice of Jesus through communion with reverence and gratitude. And, and instead of just being a routine, you can have that established wondrous assurance, gracious hope in your heart. And because of the work of Christ, you can be changed from one degree of glory to another by the effect of hearing this read and explained. So what, what a joy and a privilege to gather in corporate worship. I pray that you understand the depth of the idea better. You'll be able to prepare for it better. And that even next Sunday when we gather, you'll be able to then to participate in it all the more fully. I just don't want any of us to miss out on what Jesus has made available to us. Whether it's because of ignorance or because of willful disobedience. Don't miss out individually or corporately on what Jesus has bought for us when we're then told to worship him in all those ways. Let's pray.